and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Hello. Welcome back, everyone. We had a week's difference, didn't we? It was very odd last week, waking up on Sunday and not coming to church. Um, but um, thank you, first of all, to Joel and to everyone who participated in the show on the stage and behind the scenes. And Hannah's, I know, is here today. And I know the work that you did with them, the university students. I hope they enjoyed it. I know we enjoyed it. We are so fortunate to be connected to lots of incredibly talented people who could help fill the room and show some awareness of what Q is as well, which was absolutely lovely because we would like to reach more people, not because we have an agenda of any kind, but because we like helping people and we'd like to connect with more people in the city and we hope and trust we gave them a positive experience and a great night. So thank you, thank you to everyone who contributed. The privilege I had was contributing incredibly little at all points and showing up to enjoy it. But for me, I just think that's great. So thank you especially to Joel because he took that. Well, he bought it, took it, and I did nothing. So for me, that's a great win. <laughs> um, so thank you. Um, we've started this morning with Echoes, and that video that we played, that was an echo for me because we, I remember sitting in a room in one of the houses over there with a, a group and trying to work out if we were going to summarise, I think that was pre-Q, was it? Was that, well, if we were going to summarise where we are now, what would we say? You have no idea how many hours it took to come up with the content on that video because everything was like, do we think that? Do we not think that? And I know Kev then spent hours creating the video. So it was really nice to see it again and go, oh yeah. Um, and I'm interested, very interested in thinking, do we, would we say it all in exactly the same way now? I think a lot of it we would, but we might tweak a bit here and add a different emphasis over there. Because actually what we're always doing here at Q, and you're going to hear more this morning from Ruth and from Danny, is trying to just have this conversation about God, um, what it means. And I was listening to someone recently saying it is so hard to define God. We've said it many times before. If you just walk in this building and we would spend we try to define this thing. It's so difficult because it's undefinable. But this guy said something that I thought was incredibly helpful that I just thought I'd share today. He said, um, it's difficult to define God, but he could define his experience of God. And he did that in three ways. The first thing he said was that he has experienced God as a source of life that flows through the universe, born billions of years ago, and a life that animates everything that is. 
So he committed to living his life fully to make this life visible to others. The second thing he said is how he's experienced God is as a source of love. And similarly, just the source of love that flows through everything, he, he, he's experienced God to be that. And so now he tries to love wastefully to make that love visible. And the third thing he says is that he's just, his experience of God has been that it's the ground of being, which I thought, wow, that's quite a, that's got a lot in there, hasn't it? To be everything I am capable of being, to have courage, because the more fully I can become myself fully human, the more fully I will make God manifest. To accept self as I am, accept others as they are without needing to impose any agenda. And what he said was it's in the fullness of living and loving and being that he's found he practices God. So his awareness that the, there is this God, he tries to push it through his living and loving and being. I thought, yeah, I think I get that. And I think that's what Q is trying to be this morning. So even in the moments when we're not explicitly talking about God, we're talking about living, knowing that God is a source of life, loving, knowing always that God is a source of love, and being, knowing that that's a source, our ground of being. So even when it's being mentioned explicitly or not, that is the implicit way we are trying to explore this this morning, and I trust that Ruth and Danny are going to help us do that a little more. So enjoy the rest of the day. Danny, it's you, isn't it? Now, I have a question for you before we sing this song. What is the opposite of black and white? Oh, white and black. Oh, edgy, Jen. Um, I've been in lots of conversations with people where people are like, I like black and white. I hate grey. Grey is the thing in the middle, and I don't like grey. I like black and white. Now, what occurred to me, and why this song is called A Million Colours, is because I don't think that it's either black or white or this mediocre grey in the middle. I think there is a whole spectrum of colors in the middle of black and white. And the challenge of doing church like this is even in a group of people like we have this morning, there's going to be multiple perspectives, multiple experiences. My childhood was probably very different to all of your childhoods. Some of it will cross over, some of it won't. My week was probably different to your week. My experiences of life and love and God and all of those things are going to be different. Now, I think that's why we get together and do church because actually there is a whole spectrum in between and that's what we're exploring. Um, and I think when we get stuck in black or white, it can either be a bit blinding or we can get a bit lost. Um, within that, I think there are some things that are true and there are certainties that we can grab onto and there are things that are more ambiguous and kind of more subjective. But the song kind of explores how I've seen the danger in just being stuck in one cap or the other. Um, and I think there's... Uh, more beautiful life when you can embrace that spectrum of things. Here we go. Um, so, yeah, we're talking about the kids, what the kids are doing when they go out. Because um, we've been, sort of, since we've become Q, um, Danny and the team have been, like, reshaping what we do with the kids. Um, we've got, like, Danny leads it up, and then there's seven of us who, like, the team that, that share, and we take turns to go out. And we've also got two young, uh, wonderful young leaders now. I don't think either of them are here today, but they're doing a great job as well. Um, and we, we have decided, it took us a long time, we've come up with a new name, um, but it, it took us quite a while, we've been talking about it for ages, um, 
but I just want to mention a couple of ideas that we didn't choose, but I thought were really, really good. Is Phoebe still over there? Yeah. Phoebe, I thought she had this amazing idea. She wanted to um, take the first letter of everybody's name that goes and put them together to make a word. Now, I'm not sure my brain could cope with making a different anagram every week, depending on who was there, but the idea of it, I thought was incredible because she'd grasped that, like, the group is made up of the different sounds of the people. Like, I suppose if you take... Because I always think phonics, that's why my mind works phonics. But if you take like the sound of that first name, the sound of the person, and you put them all together, they blend to make like a new sound. So just for example, if we took um, Phoebe, P, uh, Ada, Ah, and um, Tabby, she's over there somewhere, t then you blend them, you get Pat. So altogether, already with only three new um, people, you get a new blended sound. And that, that's what Q churches were all a blended sound from all the people that come here. And I just thought, Phoebe, that idea was fantastic that you caught that idea. Um, and then um, Steve stood at the back there. I have to mention Steve's absolute favourite, and it is, it is so Steve, but we, we couldn't go with it, sorry Steve, but he wanted to call us Qby-dooby-doo. <laughs> so, um, sorry, we couldn't do that one, Steve. Um, so we've chosen one that's just nice and simple, nice and clear, and just says what we are. So if you put the logo on the screen... So it's, yeah, Q Kids Exploring Life, because that's what we're doing out there, we're exploring. Um, we've also got, um, I looked, we've got a WhatsApp group, and we all chat in the team, and um, I looked back in it this week, and Danny had written, like, a Scott Statement of Aims quite a while ago, and I, um, we've got that put on a slide as well, if we could put the Aims slide up. So the aims for Q Kids were, um, we think, to create an environment and plan activities in which the kids are building the skills of being conscious of their feelings, being confident enough to be honest, and being curious about life, truth, and how we can live well together. I think those are pretty good aims, Sandy. Well done. <laughs> So, oh, next, um, we're going to put, there's just a few photos, we haven't taken loads of photos, because I suppose we didn't really think we were doing this, but um, yeah, we've got a few photos we're going to put in a slide, and I'm just one, I'm going to put them up, I think they're going to be on a loop, but I'm just going to let us watch them through once, because I'm going to talk while they're on, and probably be looking at them, won't be um, taking in what I'm saying, so if we just put the photos up, and I'll, we'll just watch them through once. So um, I'll just sort of talk over a few of the activities we've done with them. Um, I know some better than others because obviously we're a team, so we take it in turns going out. But we've done lots of affirming confidence-building activities. 
we brought back, I don't know if anyone remembers from years ago, we used to do Who's on the Couch out there, and that's come back a bit because it is very good at getting children to um, sit and talk about themselves and just share their ideas with other people, and um, they love that. They love being on the couch. They sit with, it's usually Steve or whoever's there, and he'll ask them questions, play a yes-no game with them, and they get to share what they do and what they've been learning about and things. So we've been doing that. Um, and then we've been, you saw Jacob laying out like that. We've been um, drawing round the kids and then on the paper underneath, filling it in with um, positive statements, what things that we really like about that person, things that we think are wonderful. And also, I've always wanted them to say something positive about themselves to write on as well, because I think that's really important, because I think sometimes it's easier to say positive things about someone else and about yourself. So I also thought it was really important that I identify at least one thing about themselves that was positive. Um, we did, um, there was an Easter egg hunt, which was mostly lots of fun, but it encouraged that exploring and curious nature as well, searching for things. We've talked quite a lot about um, patience and um, about, you know, it's more than just waiting. And there's Oscar. Can't see him. It's dark. Os Oscar, um, he, Oscar said about, it's about being happy while you're waiting, didn't you, Oscar? But your, Oscar is a perfect example that he's always happy and smiling. So... Um, yeah, about enjoying the journey as you wait. We talk for patience and played lots of games, encouraging it. Kelly did a marshmallow game where they had given one marshmallow, but they had to wait two minutes. And if they could wait two minutes, they got to eat the second. Apparently, they all managed it, so I wasn't there on that one. Um, we made crispy buns, and we had to wait till the end to, um, to be able to eat them. They got to wait for them to set. Um, and that, um, we've, done, we've done quite a bit on patience. When, um, Ada and Beth went out with some friends um, and they were in a cafe um, and they were sitting waiting for the food and Beth's friend said some, um, something like, oh yeah, we've got to be patient while we wait. And apparently Ada said, she's there and she I can just see it's so dark. Um, she said, oh yes, we've been learning about patience at church. And um, the lady said, oh, I like the sound of your church. So Ada was telling um, um, this lady all about patience. Um, uh, Mick and Sarah and Alison, they did a week where they did lots about aims, um, something that we've been doing in here as well. And they did lots of activities about what the children are aiming for in their day and in their lives. And um, they played lots of different aiming games to think, you know, firing at targets and things like that. Um, we started some work on emotions. Um, I'm not sure if it was a couple of weeks ago. Mick and Sarah and Kelly started some discussions around feelings. Um, they read from that book that Claire had shared, the um, bottled one that George had read from. Um, and they discussed what emotions are and about not bottling them up. Um, I think they played some water games as well. And I think Sarah put Kelly in charge of that. I don't think she, I can't see Sarah either, but I don't think she liked the water games. But they, I'm not sure how wet they got. Um, and then we've done some things about guilt. Um, we did. If you've seen the kids on there and they're wearing my big fur coat, which is not proper fur, it's faux fur, just to clarify. Um, they, did, um, they were wearing that because it was part of a game. It's called the Big Brown Bear Game. And there's a big brown bear and you have to hide a honeypot 
behind those children are sat in a group and the bear can't see where you're hiding it and he has three guesses to guess where the honey's hidden. And there's a little rhyme saying, um, it's Big Brown Bear sitting on a chair, somebody's stolen your honey. And then you have to say, put your hands on your knees and don't look guilty. So we played that game quite a lot. And then we just talked about guilt. Um, and all the leaders shared a story about something they'd felt guilty about and what they, if they did anything to make things better. Well, I had a little story about um, something I'd done and the kids were really helpful to me with it because um, I'd said, you'd probably be a bit shocked, but I got really upset once and I, um, I stamped on one of Steve's plants. I was a little bit... I felt, and then I started to feel really guilty and I was really upset about it and I thought, what can I do to make this better? And I, I thought, I'm going to own up. And I did, and I said, sorry, and I bought him a new plant. But then um, Tabby came up with a wonderful, kind idea. And she said to me, you could water them for him as well. And I thought that was so lovely. She's there, isn't she? And then Oscar also said, oh, plant him some seeds. And they were, just, they were so on board with this. They were so lovely thinking of all these ways to make it better. Um, so anyway, and then we all did... Um, we did sort of our, um, they did a filled in their sheets. Oh, I can I put that honeypot sheet up actually, please. That one there, yeah. So we did, we had a sheet and we discussed it in two groups if there's anything they felt guilty about and what they could do to make it better. But with the aim in this was not for them to feel guilty. There were some that didn't, say they felt guilty about anything and that's absolutely fine because it was um, having a method to deal with it if you did. It's not about like wanting anyone to feel it. Um, so, oh yeah, so we, we talked about that and they filled in little bits and then uh, at the end it was Jen put um, Let It Go on her phone and we all sang and danced to Let It Go and um, waving your arms around and everything, I probably remember that. Um, I just wanted to talk a little about this sheet as well because I, I mean, I find the things to do with the kids just, my mind works like that in that simple format and this, um, this work really helped me personally and I've been put, applying it in my own life because... Um, the guilt is sort of an indicator, it's a, a sign that something's not right. When you're feeling that, there's something not right. Um, so when, if I noticed that I was feeling that guilt, and um, so I sort of went through these steps, and really practical steps, I think things like that helped me. So it was like, is there anything you feel guilty about? You identify you've got that little alarm bell, there's some feeling that you know is not, not a right feeling. So is there anything you can do to make things better? So I used to think, well, what, what can I do? And the, often there's like, there's lots of different things. You, this bit tends to take courage, actually. There might be like an owning up to someone or saying you're sorry or performing an action or just talking to someone. There might be some things you have to do, but I felt that when I've sort of gone through this and I've made that decision, I always feel like I'm more of an empowerment to, to do that. Um, but there is another thing as well. I thought guilt can also be come from a perception of what you think others are saying, and this can come from like a people-pleasing attitude. And actually, that guilt, I think you just have to um, do nothing. That I don't think that's something that you kind of have to ignore because you're trying to please people with that, and I don't think that's something you need to do anything about. You need to just maybe say no to that one. Um, so. Yeah, so when you've um, asked all these questions, um, then just decide if you're gonna, if you need to carry out an action or not, um, and then let it go. And um, I've, I've really found this has helped me. I've just gone through it step by step, and I find it's a bit like, I mean, guilt, it's a bit 
I was just, I don't know, I thought of like cleaning your bathroom, like if you clean, wait six months before you clean it, you're going to have a heck of a job. But if you do it regularly and you just clean, you know, like this, if you apply this regularly, you're not going to get things building up. And then, because I mean, guilt can build up into shame and it can get bigger. And so you just sort of, chip, you know, deal with it as it comes. And I have felt like much more freedom of just letting things go before they, you know, I used to try and squash things down a lot and ignore them and... Um, anyway, so I'm just gonna, well, the kids are gonna go out in a minute, but Danny has made a new theme. We've got a theme tune now, kids, that's gonna play when it's time to go out for um, Q Kids. Um, apparently, I don't know this tune, but apparently you all really know it. It's one that you really know. And somebody that we know has recorded this one. And Danny says that if you can do recordings of your voices, then you can get to have yours played at different weeks as well. So if you want to record your voices singing this and give them to Danny, then you can get played when we go out. So when we play it now, you can have a little listen and then you can go out to to cue kids right now, so we're going to put the, the tune on. It's time to kill the cue kids. It's time to kill the cue kids. It's time to kill the cue kids. It's time to go to cue kids. It's time to kill the cue kids. It's time to kill the cue kids. It's time to kill the cue kids. It's time to go to cue kids. So I want to follow on a little bit from what Kev brought the other week and something we've heard about before, which is about being awake and being conscious. Because uh, we covered a while ago uh, three areas that we think kind of Q might be built around, which is movement, consciousness, and evolution. Um, which essentially is the, the process of change, I think, and growing. That actually, if you're not awake and aware of something, how can you change it? Um, you then have to kind of make a movement um, and that, and you will then evolve and grow and change. Um, now, there is a talent that I have that only some of you may be aware of. I can fall asleep pretty much anywhere. In fact, I was thinking the other day, uh, I was talking to Phil Craven. I, when I first moved up to York, I would often hang out at Phil's. And I remember one night, Kev woke me up on the sofa and was like, Danny, everyone's gone home now. <laughs> You can go, or we'll go into bed. <laughs> uh, Amy even has a folder on her phone called Danny Sleeping. Here's a few examples. I can fall asleep on the sofa. I can fall asleep on, yep, on that sofa with that cat. Cats are usually involved in sleeping. Uh, is there a train one? I think there's a train one. Yeah, on the train. Um, the problem is, though, with being asleep, you're often unaware of what's going on around you, and things like this can end up happening. Uh, or this. Or even this. Um, <laughs> when you're unaware and unconscious and sleepwalking through life, sometimes you can end up in a situation that you might be completely unaware of until you wake up. Uh, there are also situations where if you are unconscious and asleep, you might be having a negative influence on the people around you that you're also completely unaware of. I feel like maybe that was a... Uh, head rub goodnight that just turned into I'm just going to leave my head there, my hand there. Okay, so uh, we can sleepwalk through life. We've talked about this a little bit before. Falling asleep on the sofa is one thing, but when we're sleepwalking through life, we are then unaware and we actually aren't going to be in the process of growing and changing. So I wonder, what are we unconscious of this morning? I guess the obvious answer is we don't know, because if we knew, we'd be aware of it. 
What are you conscious of this morning? What are the things that are at the forefront of your mind that you maybe weren't aware of, that maybe you have become aware of? It might be things around you. It might be things within you. I heard a question which I asked this week. It's quite a brave question. And if there's someone that you trust that you want to ask them, it might be a good conversation starter. The question is, what do you know about me that I don't know about me that I should know about me? What do you know about me that I don't know about me that I should know about me? Now, question. Are you thinking positive things or are you thinking negative things? Because initially, when we ask that question, what do you know about me that I don't? We might be thinking, oh, they're going to come out with all of this stuff, all this awful stuff that I'm completely unaware of that actually they're aware of. And there might be some of that, and that can be helpful when someone's like, do you realize you never listen? Like, I say these things and you, you keep on with the same thing. I've been told that a few times, and it can be helpful to then be like, right, I need to be conscious and present when I'm in a conversation. But it can also be, when, uh, when I had the conversation with Amy this week, what do you know about me that I don't know about me? It was actually some positive things. It's like, you don't realize X, Y, Z. And I think that can be, obviously, it's probably important to do it with someone you trust, not just with someone you're in the queue with at McDonald's or on the bus with. So why does it matter if we're awake or conscious? Again, how can we change something that we aren't aware of in the first place? I wonder if God is trying to show us things about ourselves that we might not be consciously aware of at the moment. Uh, if God isn't a helpful term for you, a helpful term might be your subconscious. I wonder if your subconscious is trying to help you become conscious of some things. I wonder if life is trying to show you some things that you're not con con uh, currently aware of. So how does what we're aware of influence how we see each other and ourselves? I wonder if you've realized something about your childhood, maybe, when you've looked back and gone, man, I never realized that. And if, I'd, if I was aware of that at the time, I might have perceived the whole thing differently. One of the things that's um, been relevant for me around that is uh, I've always had an aversion to conflict. And Joel and I have spoken about this before. And I realized a few years ago, no one ever argued in my family. Like, and I spoke to my mom and dad about it. And they said, well, we agreed. We didn't want to argue in front of the kids. So then I grew up in a world where there was no engagement in conflict that I saw. So then learning how to resolve that was tricky. So sometimes it might be worth revisiting, like, are there things that I wasn't aware of when I was growing up that actually have been massively formative into the person I've become? That maybe if I could take a bit of a pause or maybe have some conversations that might help me see. We've got a whole life behind us, haven't we? I remember Anth talking about how... Um, uh, the Hebrew culture, they believe that the past is in front of them and the future is behind them. And so actually the way that they're looking is often back. I may be wrong in that, uh, so you can help me out. <laughs> but but I, I like that idea that essentially we're kind of moonwalking through life, like looking back at the past. Because actually the past can inform us a lot. The reality is the future is wholeheartedly a mystery most of the time. So the past is often what can help us whilst we are being present. Uh, I was thinking back to something that happened, which I think I shared before up here. Um, I was in a band when I was about 14 or 15, and I was called Little Danny when I was growing up because I was really little. I didn't start growing till I was about 19, I think. Um, so I was always the really little one. And when you're 14, 15, 16, and you're a few years behind everybody else, 
it's not easy. Um, but I remember, uh, I think I told you this story, before I was at a sleepover with the, the lads in my band, and, um, and I was getting kind of picked on and bullied, and they were all laughing at me just because I was small. And I remember that being quite a formative experience that recently I've become conscious of, that it kind of formed some stuff in me about how I then decided, right, I'm going to be the best at everything, and I'm going to show everybody, and I'm going to achieve X, Y, Z, and I'm going to be super Christian, um, and that's going to be kind of my identity. So that was something I became aware of. When you're aware of it, you can change. But what I became aware of about two weeks ago is that one of the people in the room that night was going through something horrific in their own life that I had no idea of at the time. Um, and recently, I've had a conversation with Sarah. And also, if you were here at the show last week, uh, my friend Ben was playing guitar, who was fantastic. Um, Ben's doing a history degree at the moment, and Sarah's done a history degree in the past. And I was interested in learning a little bit about history. But one of the things that we found is that history isn't just the stuff that happened. History is how we see the stuff that has happened. Um, what your past is isn't just the stuff that happened. It's how you're seeing the stuff that happened. When I look back on that sleepover and that night 20 years ago, uh, I see it really differently now. The thing that initially was painful or maybe even shameful that kind of a, something was formed out of that in me, now I have a compassion. Like, oh, I see what was going on. Like, he was really hurting, and that's why he, all this hurt was coming out of him. Um, we've talked before, haven't we, about hurt people, hurt people. Um, and when we can be, become conscious of maybe, maybe there's something going on in somebody else, and that's what's going on in the situation. The phrase I often say when something's kicking off with people is the issue is rarely the issue. The issue that's at the face of things, there's often something behind it, isn't there? Oh, yeah. This is a better quote. The history is not the past. History is a present-day interpretation of the past. So I wonder whether this week, just on that, is, are there points where it might be worth revisiting? Because maybe we framed certain things in our life, and the perspective we have on them is because of the pain that we felt, which is absolutely justifiable. And we're having a really good conversation this week about how there are some things we should be angry about, and there are some things we really should be sad about. Um, but that, those dimensions, like we talked before about black and white, there's a whole spectrum of color that each incident in the world is it's multifaceted, isn't it? And the reality about everything that's going on in me and you and in the world around us, there are all sorts of things going on. And I think what's maturity is trying to understand as many different facets of that as we can so we can see the bigger picture. Okay, another interesting question. Uh, I was listening to a podcast recently with Russell Brand and a lady called Brene Brown. Um, and the question came up, are people doing the best that they can? I just want us to ponder on that for a moment. Uh, this lady, Brene Brown, was saying that she'd done a, um, a course with a group of church leaders. She said to them, I want you to think about the person you're struggling most with in the world at the moment. And I want you to imagine that God came down and said to you, that person is doing the very best that they can at the moment with what they've got, with what they know, with the life experience they have behind them. Uh, and it's interesting. I wonder what that does in you. I wonder if some of us were like, oh, they're nuts. I definitely know some people that could do a little bit better. Uh, other of us might be like, well, 
I'm doing the best that I can. Um, I wonder if you feel you're doing the best that you can. I think often we are with what we've got to carry and with the life we've got and maybe with the past we've got and the experiences we've got. But maybe there are ways we can improve with that as we become more conscious. Anyway, uh, this lady, Brene Brown, she said, she asked her husband the question and he said, I'm going to think about it for a while. And she said he came back and said, I don't know if people are doing the best that they can, but my life is better when I assume that they are. I wonder whether that is true for us. It's easy to hear a quote sometimes and whack it on our fridge and think, yes, that's true, but is it? (laughs) Am I a better person? Is life more enjoyable when I assume you're doing the best that you can? Or is it not? We're thinking about one of the things I was saying to Jenny today, I had a birthday this week, I turned 40, and some people were saying to me, um, well, do you feel different now? And you're like, well, no, it's only a day. But then there is a reality within which you're like, that's quite a big number. <laughs> and then, and when, like obviously in your head, you're only 21 still, so you're like, blimey, 40. It's like, is that halfway? Oh, I don't know. What have I done with my life? What does my life mean? Uh, but one of the things people often say is the older you get, the less you know. I wonder if you find that true, or whether actually some of you might think, ah, I've learned more and more and more over the years. I know more. I feel like at the moment, what I know is that there's less that I know. <laughs> there's not much that I know, which is why I've got lots of questions for you this morning, because I'm not sure I know much that's going to help you, but I might have some questions that you can help yourself with. I learned something this week about the word compassion. Do you know what compassion means? The root of the word means to suffer with. You have like passion of the Christ, didn't you? Which is like the suffering. So com is like with. So when you have compassion on someone, you're suffering with them. And I I remember us learning here years ago about how there's a big difference between sympathy and compassion. Sometimes sympathy can be like, there, 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 everything's going to be fine. Whereas compassion, I think, drives you to maybe make a change um, or be a change or be a part of a solution. But the idea of compassion being to suffer with, I think that requires a little bit of awareness and a little bit of an open mind to think, maybe that person I'm struggling with at the moment, could I become more aware of the bigger picture around why this situation is happening? That might help me to suffer with them. And I might then have a different approach to finding a solution when I'm really feeling what's going on. Questions can really help us, can't they? Um, Talking about becoming aware and conscious of things, I remember a conversation in Pillars with Chris probably about 20 years ago. And she'd obviously spotted something in me that I wasn't aware of, that I should have been aware of, (laughs) that she was aware of. And she said, Danny, who do you admire? And I was like, "Uh." and I became conscious that I struggled. (laughs) And that was not a good thing. Um, Because there are all sorts of things to admire in everybody. And I wasn't seeing it at that time because I was so self-consumed and self-obsessed. And I think sometimes questions, rather than just telling somebody something like, you don't admire anybody, (laughs) that sometimes can be like like the wind trying to blow your coat off. Whereas there's that story where the sun gets someone to take their coat off by just shining. And I think questions do that. They create an internal pressure that makes you grow inside out. Okay, I want to show a clip that uh, really impacted me. And it's from a show called Fleabag. I don't know if anybody's familiar with Fleabag. 
but this is a central character of Fleabag, who you don't really ever learn their name, they're just referred to as Fleabag. Uh, but the comedy series kind of revolves around this free-spirited but quite angry and confused young woman in London. Um, now, what's quite distinctive about the program Fleabag is all the different camera shots that are going on. And the really common camera shot is where Fleabag just turns and eyeballs straight down the camera and looks at us, the viewer, or what I've called the invisible observer. And she often does this in a situation where she feels quite uncomfortable and awkward. And she looks at us and kind of engages with us as the viewer, rather than engaging in the situation that she's actually in. Um, now, everybody around Fleabag is completely unaware that she's doing this um, until that she meets a priest. Now, she kind of falls in love with this priest, but obviously he's sworn a vow of chastity. But he becomes conscious of her looking to this unseen observer and makes her conscious of it too. And there's quite a funny moment when she does. But she then has to choose, having become aware of something, something's been highlighted in her life. What am I going to do about that? And I think this clip kind of explains that quite well. So let's watch this, and then we'll have some more questions. I wonder what that did in you as you watched it. When I, uh, when I watched that clip, in fact, I woke up a few weeks ago, um, and I knew I wanted to talk about awareness and consciousness. And the clip where she sat with the priest on the, the bench came into my head, but I couldn't remember the content of the clip, which was a really strange subconscious moment where I think my subconscious was going, check that clip out, it's quite good. Um, so I did, and it was... It hit me in an emotional way, I think, because it resonated with something that I think I became aware of. Um, she has a dysfunctional relationship with the unseen observer. And I wonder if we might have a dysfunctional relationship with the unseen observer. A few years ago, um, I... Uh, did a thing called Atheism for Lent. And the idea in Atheism for Lent is that you, instead of giving up chocolate or crisps for Lent, you give up God. Um, you don't give up God, but you kind of suspend belief in God for a month to see what it would be like to be an atheist and to experience life like that. Um, and I consciously, in my head, every time I'd normally go, oh, God, I'm really worried about something. I'm going to just bring this to you. I wouldn't do that consciously. And instead, I would think, right, what would what would an atheist do in this situation? Are there other ways I could process this? Um, and it was kind of a bit of a thought experiment, but what it made me aware of is how much my dysfunctional relationship with God was causing me to, as Anth often put it, I'm a Christian, get me out of here. Rather than engaging with life and seeing how can I be fully present right now, it took me away somewhere else. There was always the, the invisible friend somewhere that I could disengage with the present with. And Fleabag does that. She, she struggles to hold down any relationships functionally because there's always the unseen observer that she's looking to. Now, I am not saying at this point that it is detrimental to have a relationship with God. Not at all. Whatever, however we relate to God is probably the most important thing in our life, which is why I'm raising this. How functional is that relationship for us? And what is, is it causing us to think, as my mum says, pie in the sky when we die? Or is it causing us to embrace steak on the plate while we wait? It's great, isn't it? <laughs> the reality of that, though, although that's very silly, is that life is about right now. Um, I don't know what happens in the great beyond, 
but I am alive every day until I die. Um, and if I'm not going to be fully present here, because actually I'm off in an imaginary world somewhere, I might not get the fullness of life and actually the fullness of whatever that relationship is with the divine. And I thought it was fascinating that, that Fleabag chose to then walk away from that unseen observer. And it was more her relationship with it, um, which kind of links to the song that we'll do in a minute, The End of Me. Sometimes there has to be an end of who we currently are in order to step into something else. So one day, some people came to Jesus, and, or he said, there are going to be some people come to me one day, and they're all going to say, Lord, Lord, we did miracles in your name, and we cast out demons, and we raised the dead. And I grew up in a context where those things were like, that's what life's all about. It's all about the kingdom of God and this kind of magical miracle stuff. And I think that can be really cool. But Jesus actually said, none of that means a lot to me. He said, well, I was in prison and you never came to visit me. Um, and I was sick and you never helped me out. And I was hungry and you never fed me. And all these people are like, I don't get it. Like, when were you ever in that situation? And he says, in as much as you've not done it to the least of these, you've not done it to me. And he says, as much as you've, you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. I wonder who the least of these are for you. Who are your least of these? I think often in my head I've always thought, oh, well, it's like homeless people and people in Africa. Um, I don't think that's the least of these for us. Who do you think the least of in your life? Who's the person you're like, oh, man, I struggle with that person. Maybe Jesus would say, in as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. I love what Jenny brought the other week about a Christ-soaked world. And uh, that provoked a lot of conversation on our table the other week, which was fab. Do we believe that the world is soaked with Christ or not? Or is Christ somewhere else that we have to do something to access? Well, what Jesus proposes is that actually Christ, God, the divine, or at least Jesus, is in the least of these, whoever you consider those to be, that they might be that representation of Christ. I wonder if it's worth becoming conscious of how we live. And if the way I treat the least of these is the way I treat Jesus, God, Christ, how does that influence our perception of what worship is? Worship's a, sometimes become a, just a style of music, isn't it? Like worship music that people do in church or hymns or we think it's about singing. I think if actually worship is about how we value God and God in everything, then actually it probably is in how we treat the least of these. Here's a challenging one. What if the least of these is you? What if for you, the person that you think the least of is yourself? How do you speak to yourself? How do you think about yourself? How do you treat yourself in your life? If actually... Jesus might not be the person that's helpful, a helpful representation for you, but some people say, like, treat yourself like the most important person you know or treat yourself like the person you love the most. It's so important to care about ourselves because if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, you've got to love yourself to start with.
Right, I think I'm all out of time. Thank you very much for listening. Um, I hope this week that take some pauses to ask yourself some questions. Maybe have a look back and think, are there some things I need to be conscious of that actually I've been quite closed and shut off to because they might just hurt a bit and I don't want to go there. Um, is there some least of these people that we might need to become more aware of what they're really going through so that we can have that compassion, suffer with them, and maybe love a little better and live a little bigger, like Jenny was saying earlier on. So yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>